2: Hello, and welcome to the EDH RETCAST, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz, and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, I think he might be the reason for all those planeswalkers losing their sparks. It's Matt Morgan.
0: You know, Joey, here on EDH Rec, there's tons of data and we don't always agree with it. So this week we're going to challenge some stats. And wow. maybe, yes, I, I went there. Yes, you're welcome.
2: Wow, already stealing all of my segues this far in advance. Can't let me have nice things, can you, Matt?
0: <laughs> never have and I never will. Wow.
2: Goodness gracious. All right. Up next, he likes the idea of the set aftermath just so much as he likes the idea of an after history and after social studies and after science.
1: It's Dana Roach. And remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. (laughs) Uh, And that's our show. Goodbye, everyone.
0: (laughs) Have (laughs) a good week, everyone.
2: (laughs) Wow. Did y'all coordinate on that? That was
1: brilliant. (laughs) I didn't. Did you, Dana? (laughs) No, we just... uh, We're just that clever this week. We're just gifted. Yeah, we're gifted, Joey. That's what it is. Yeah.
2: Y'all are on a wavelength. Oh, goodness. Okay, well, if we can actually have an episode, Matt,
0: what are we talking about this week's show? Well, this week, we're going to talk about cards that we thought were going to be more popular than they are at this point. Maybe when we saw them, we got super excited to see them, but they just never really panned out, and we kind of want to talk about That and maybe why they never got as popular as we thought they were going to be.
2: Yeah, why didn't these cards take off? It'll be pretty interesting. But before we get there, we've got some shout outs to do.
1: First, I want to thank Chase, also known as the Cardboard Bandit, for their help in editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manacurves.
0: And if you want to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash EDH We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, and it's just a great way to get yourself a nice little bonus while supporting the show directly. And one of those perks you can get for yourself is the weekly patron shout out. So this week, we want to give a very big special shout out to Scott Kazmi. So Scott, thank you for I, I was trying to go for a Scott Pilgrim joke, but I've never actually seen the movie so you you haven't that movie's great Matt I've, I've never seen it
2: well I would say Scott uh Cas me if you can eh speaking of movies eh, eh? did we get there did we get there come
0: on Matt that was good <laughs> sure it was Dana let's talk about cards <laughs> <laughs> Thank you Scott thank, thank you, you so thank much. you but yes thank, thank you Scott and I'm sorry that I haven't seen Scott Pilgrim versus the world
2: Oh, man. All right. Well, right you are, Matt. Let's get into our topic. Dana, we're talking about cards that we thought would be more popular. Um, so I, I guess we'll we'll just get into it. Dana, what's a
1: card that you thought would be more popular in the commander format? Um. Yeah, Port of Carfell is is one that I thought would really have taken off. Um, it's a land from back in Kaldheim. Comes into play tapped, and, and that's, I guess, a downside. But it does tap for blue mana, which is nice. It taps for colored mana. That's always an upside. Um, it's cheap because it was an uncommon, so like anyone can go get one, so the price isn't holding it back. Um, and, and what it does, for for three and a blue and two black, you can sacrifice it. You mill four cards, and you return a creature card from your graveyard of the battlefield tapped. But that it also isn't restricted to sorcery speed. You can do that at any point in time as well it just felt like one of those cards for me that I'm like, oh, if you're playing a black creature or, or a Demir creature deck, that's probably worth a slot in like almost every Demir deck that's running any kind of useful creature. Yeah, that's a lot of mana, I guess. You're, you're spending six and you're losing a land to bring a thing back, but there's really no downside beyond the tempo hit. And I run it in two Demir decks and it's a fantastic card. So like, it's performed as well as i had thought it would when i looked at it and i was just sure this was going to be the kind of card where like if people were building a demir list they just throw it in the demir list without even thinking about it and that's not been the case only in like just over one percent of all the possible demir decks that could go into so, so that's one that really has surprised me um in terms of like how much adoption it's gotten
0: well dana i don't think I don't think anybody loves utility lands near as much as you do. So <laughs> Maybe that, that might well be true. <laughs> Immediately, that's my first kind of thought as to why it's not as popular as you thought it would be. But I also had an inkling that, yes, effectively seven mana plus sacrificing a land. That is a lot just to get one creature back. So it has to be a very big creature. Instant speed is nice. Uninterruptible or uncounterable, I should say. Mm-hmm. that There's a lot to like about this, but the cost is so high just when it comes to mana. That to me is probably why most folks haven't gotten on board with it. But also, coming into battlefield tapped and only producing one color of mana, mm. that's kind of the, the two big big strikes against it that you pointed out. That I I I would say is what's keeping Port of Carful from really taking off.
2: It is an uncommon, which I think does help. You know, it's in at the moment about mm-hmm. like the two percent ish of decks that can play it. Like you said, just over one percent. The fact that it's two colors is I think also a thing that like. It is a card that can't go into just any deck. You do have to be playing Demir or Demir Plus. Right. And a card that also jumps to me here as a comparison is actually going to be Tomb Fortress, which shows up in even fewer decks, just uh 8500 here. And that was one of the cards that came in the pre cons for Warhammer. And this is a monocolored, uh, it's a black land enters tapped, and you have to pay five tap and exile Tomb Fortress. But it actually mills you four cards and then returns a creature card from your giver to the battlefield. It will be untapped, but that is only as a sorcery. But there's a decent comparison there tomb fortress though is a rare and it's pretty difficult to get because it only comes in the precons. so i think that that at least the availability of port of carfell did at least help a little bit because it was easier to open in packs being an uncommon compared to where tomb fortress came from but yeah both of those abilities are way 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 cool so like i'm totally with you it just does seem that like you know the the room for the utility lands we have in our decks it's a pretty high demand these days
1: yeah, and that's what I came down to, too, is like there's there's just so much stuff in your decks demanding slots that it makes it tough not only to run it, but to even like want to try it in the first place. Because when you look at what you're going to, you have to cut something, what are you going to cut? You know, there's so many good utility lands. I, I, I would guess the problem is less that it didn't perform for folks and I didn't try it in the first place just because it's just so tough to find room nowadays. Uh, as long as we're talking about
2: mana, I'll go to one of my picks here. And Matt, I think that this is a pick that I actually share with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Planar Atlas <laughs> really caught both of our eyes, and like, oh yeah, why isn't this card more popular? It's currently only showing up in. 3,156 decks. Planar Atlas is a two-mana artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped. It taps for a colorless. And it says when it enters the battlefield, you may look at the top four cards of your library. If you do reveal up to one land card from among them, put that card on top of your library and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. This is so good. Like oh it doesn't color fix oh whatever it comes into play tapped on turn two I don't care about that like if I see this in my opening hand snap keep right like I feel so safe and secure in like my ability to play that hand I'm so excited for this card but it's only showing up in like 3000 decks like that's effectively 0% of the decks that are eligible to play it Matt why isn't this card
0: more popular what's going on I love this thing uh, I think the real answer is just a bunch of players are very very bad at card evaluation and, Ooh, and, and that nice that, that is a major exaggeration but there is a little bit the truth to that because I remember I tweeted about this when I first saw it and th- this card's very exciting it's it's going to smooth out draws it's going to make sure if you you know you miss your first land drop or two then you're going to find it you cast this you're going to find your next one uh if you don't have enough lands in your deck this is going to help make sure that you're at least finding what you do have in there I there's just so much to like about this deck uh, or about this card I should say excuse me but yeah it's Man, I I love this. And we got so many people kind of pushing back, like, it comes into play tapped. So do so many other cards that have been staples in the format for so (laughs) long. It's two mana. So even if you're just setting up your next draw, I mean, Dana, you know that you've drawn cards off of Sylvan Library just to get them out of the way. And sometimes you don't get a fetch land. You just need to get stuff off the top of your library. Well, this is another good way. You know, you have two cards on the top of your library. You put them back. You're not really excited to draw them. You play Planar Atlas, you get rid of them. There's there's a lot of value to if you know what's kind of coming up and you don't want it, being able to shuffle it away and get, get it down. There's a lot of value to that. And so I think just it does a lot of good things in small little ways that aren't just, they're not glamorous. I think that's why a lot of players kind of ignore it too
2: yeah exactly like if ebony fly can show up in twelve thousand decks and that is also a mana rock that enters battlefield tapped produces colorless and you have to pay a lot of mana to maybe turn it into a like flying d- creature thing it's like it's okay like ebony fly I-, I respect it it's fine but like planar atlas should at least be at that threshold too because it is great for smoothing out your early game and this is the real thing i feel like a lot of the times when i've seen people diss on this card it's because of a misreading because they assume that that is a must trigger that you must set a land on the top of your deck when you play this it's a may trigger and you can choose up to one land so you can choose zero if you don't want that so Mm -hmm. i mean most mana rocks are going to be dead draws in the late game anyway so i'm not too worried about that i really like this if i encounter it in one of the early turns of the game i think this is a really solid mana rock and 3,000 decks only just makes me sad
1: well and it's less of a dead draw late game than most mana rocks because it at least does something like it's (laughs) you know ramping you from 12 to 13 mana isn't a big deal but like Ramping you from 12 to 13 and letting you pick your next draw can be pretty useful at that point in the game, especially. It can help you find your port of Carfell, Dana. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, it, it, now, I, I will say, like, one of the things that I struggled with this card was, I'm like, okay, I, I liked it a lot. What deck am I going to put it in? I'm like, well, you know, Arcane Signet comes into play on taps and makes whatever color I need. And I'm like, yeah. well, the, the the Signet and the Talisman give me the land I want. And Liquid Metal Torque has got so much utility and mm-hmm. Mindstone lets me... You know, draw a card when I need to, and that's very useful. And sometimes, ever flowing chalice can drop at the right point in the game, and I can, you know, bring it in with with three or four counters on it and then proliferate them up or whatever. So, like, there was I found myself really arguing against myself for like reasons like, like, man, it, it's it's not that it's a not a good card, but like the things that it's fighting for a slot with also we really, really close to being, you know, better or, or at least things I didn't want to cut. Mm. And I think the, the 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 card that I wound up taking out in the couple decks I ran it was Felwar Stone. Interesting. Sure. 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 But then I found myself like I'm like, okay, well the next time one of these cards drops in the slot, I'm like, I don't know what's gonna lose because like I don't know what I don't know what to pull now next time. So, but yeah, it, that it's it's fighting against a lot of really good mana rocks as well, but. I think it's good enough to make the cut in more decks than it's currently been making the cut in.
2: That's that's interesting. For me, I look at Planar Atlas and I'm like, for me, this would be a colorless, monocolor, or two-color mana rock only. I wouldn't play it in three-color plus. Sure. Whereas Felwar Stone definitely wins out for me if I'm playing three colors or more.
1: Yeah, and Felwar Stone gets, gets better the more colors in your deck, more or less.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I, admittedly, I would not play Planar Atlas in anything three colors or higher. But like the, the times that I've played it, I've been like, oh, whew, I, I feel so much safer with my hand. <laughs> this is, this is going to reliably make me hit a land drop. And I'm like, sure awesome i'll be able to play my six drop next turn or something like that i've really enjoyed it when i've seen this one so that's just me matt i know that we kind of shared that one but let's move on to one of your picks now too
0: well i'll just talk about an artifact that also is kind of a mana rock because we've talked about a lot of mana producing cards so far um so machine god's effigy is a card that i sought and i was just wondering how long it took for people just to to glom onto this and just play it in every dang blue deck Mm. But it really hasn't. Uh, So Machine God's Effigy is four mana for an artifact that says you may have Machine God's Effigy enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield, except it's an artifact and has tapped to add one blue mana and it is not a creature. And then also Machine God's Effigy, if you don't want it to come in as a copy of something, you can just have it come in as a four mana tap for blue mana rock. So Cursed Mirror is in forty-eight thousand decks. (laughs) This is only in seven. And some key differences, Cursed Mirror gives creature haste when it comes in, then it does, be, it stops becoming a creature, which is, there's a lot of strategy to that. But there are entire strategies around copying creatures on the battlefield. The Sakashima, that's the whole brand of the character in magic <laughs> lore, is copying and imitating things. Machine God's Effigy does that, and also just is a mana rock at the same time. And I... <laughs> It's kind of wild to me that this card hasn't caught on considering, I mean, Dan, if you want to spend effectively seven mana to reanimate a creature, I'll spend four to copy it. And that's cool with me
2: To, to copy it. And it will the artifact version will just stay as a mana rock. This mana rock won't be a creature, so it avoids board wipes. Right. And that's really cool. That's really, really cool. Like, I'll compare this to the card Imposter Mech, the vehicle that can enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature and opponent controls, except it's a vehicle with crew three. So that one's showing up in 20,000 decks and Machine God's Effigy is only showing up in seven. And I'm like, what?
0: What? Yeah, there's there's a lot to like here. Just copying people's... There are so many powerhouse static abilities out there these days that you just want to have them around or if there's just a good ETB trigger. You can just get that, copy it, and then you're good to go there. Uh, then you also still have a mana rock that's ready to go at the same time. So I just, there, there's so many things to like about this. And I'm just, I'm very surprised this card hasn't been more
1: popular ever since it was released.
2: going to copy someone's Kodama of the East Tree and be really happy about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wonder if this is, isn't also a, a victim of people not quite understanding the card. Sure. And thinking like, oh, it's either, it's either a mana rock or it's a clone. And I would rather just have... Like I don't know if I want a clone that, you know, is going to make things an artifact. But like I don't, I don't know why that would dissuade you from playing it because the text is a little bit tricky. Mm. It does read like it's going to come into play as a copy of a thing, and it's also going to be the creature. So people might not know what Lloyd dodges board wipes and stuff. And, and I guess that makes it a little bit more narrow because basically you're focusing on things that have like a passive ability or something mm-hmm. or, or an ETB or, or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's it, there's just it's again, it's one of those cards that like there's almost no downside to it.
0: Well, and we talked recently about how Myram is one of those, I'm going to find the three best dragons and I'm going to make a million copies of them. <laughs> so having a non-creature version of Tear of the Peaks seems all upside to me. <laughs> I just don't know how that, that, that wouldn't be silly. Yeah, for
2: sure, guys. Uh, all right. I uh, think we've talked about a lot of mana producing cards so far. Um, so let's move on to an example of a card that I think I, I'm like surprised this one isn't more popular, but it's not a thing that makes mana. Um, Matt, if you'll let me have at least one segue in this episode, I will segue us into the next card here. Um, I want to talk about Coronation of Chaos. Coronation of Chaos is a common red spell. It is a three-mana sorcery from the Baldur's Gate set. It says up to three target creatures can't block this turn. Goad them. So until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. This is a little mini Disrupt Decorum, and also it prevents your opponents from blocking you. I know that in comparison to a card like Disrupt Decorum, this probably reads as pretty minor, but I have played this card and been really, really pleased by its effects. Like, I'll go to your commander, your commander, and your commander. Also, you guys can't block me this turn, and bang, I'm gonna move into the red zone. I think that this deserves to see more play than just 3,100 decks. This little common is feisty.
1: This is one that that I have no I, I don't love this card, but I guess I can't say I've seen it in play, so maybe I'm wrong. I can tell you why I have not ran it. Reading the card and, and when I've read the card in the past looked at, it, I felt like it doesn't do anything powerful enough to justify a slot over what else I could run in red and how much more impactful that thing would be. I'm not saying it's not a good card, but I feel like, but I'm always going to find something that I feel is better for my deck than this one. So like, at least for me, that's why I've never ran it. See, I, I, again, it seems that we always between the three of us, one person falls
0: in the middle and this is where I'm doing that. Sure. I can see why you would want to play it because if you're playing red, you're you're probably wanting to attack quite a bit. You're you're on the offensive. This is getting the three biggest blockers, the three best blockers, I should say, getting those out of the way, but also you're putting them on the offensive the next turn so you're effectively taking them out of your next combat step. So I understand why you would want to run this, but also for one more mana, you can just disrupt Decorum. And so I, I see why... It, Dana, like you said, uh, it falls short of just some other effects that you could be doing, especially for maybe just a mana or two more. But also, it, it's it's simple, it's effective, it's probably ten cents, and so sure. there's I there's a lot of value I think to some card being ten cents. You find it in your, your bulk box, you give it a go, and and if it performs then great, like if you're going wide, you only need to get rid of a couple blockers. This is a perfect way to do it.
2: Right, this Repticorum is showing up in thirty nine thousand decks. To me, this is a if you want one. You probably want the other at least some amount of the time. These cards definitely work really well in tandem with each other. Also, Coronation of Chaos feels a lot better to draw when you're down to a one on one game, whereas Disrupticorum becomes pretty useless when you're down to just being against one final opponent. This actually has a little bit of late game punch to allow you to attack through an enemy board in a way that Disrupticorum doesn't. So that's why I like it, but for me, it just feels like if nearly 40,000 decks are playing Disrupticorum, like a lot of those decks should also want coronation of chaos, sure. and that, that, that that's just especially if you're playing like a very heavily goad themed deck, which we have a lot of commanders that do that nowadays. just thirty one hundred seems too low comparing those numbers to me,
0: yeah, so I like the card, but i it's kind of like Dana's port of Carful. it's 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 not sexy, I guess. like it feels weird calling cardboard sexy, but like sure. It's, it's not one of the glamorous types of cards to do the, the, the job. And I think that's, uh, people see the, the common rarity mark and I think mm. people snub their noses a little bit. And that's probably also at play with, with a lot of the cards we're gonna talk about today in general.
2: Honestly, the fact that this is also a Baldur's Gate card, I gotta admit that probably has something to do with people's attitudes towards it. Because like, <laughs> I don't know, we've experienced plenty of commentary about the fact that we loved the Baldur's Gate set. and <laughs> that that set is full of really, really great stuff, which I think people are only just now Starting to discover how many cool cards were actually in that set, which thank goodness people are finally coming around on on, on that because that set was awesome. But I feel like that also maybe has not only it being a common, but also like the set had a certain reputation. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I can see why this one drops to the bottom of that barrel.
0: Well, so, so Jerry, I'm going to steal it back. So you talked about a red card. I'll talk about a red card, but it's going to deal with mana and it's going to deal with land. So I'm, I'm sorry for circling back on that that point you tried to take us away from. But <laughs> Valkyrie Exploration. So. I expected this to be basically the red Phyrexian arena. Just it's in every red deck, just in general, everybody wants it. And it's, it's not that it's not popular. There's a similar effect. There's outpost siege, but, I thought this would be in so much more than 3% of red decks. We're A lot of these cards are showing up in like 1%, 3%, whatever. And Valakut Exploration, I just, I thought every deck would want. I thought it'd be in a significant amount of red decks in, in like the 10% range. Um, so Valcut Exploration is two and a red for an enchantment that says Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled. And At the beginning of your end step, if there are cards exiled with Valakut Exploration put them into their owner's graveyard, then Valakut Exploration deals that much damage to each opponent. So right off the bat, you play a land, you get to do a little impulse draw, get get access to another card that turn, kind of like what Outpost Siege does. But also there's always the downside of You know, you exile a card and it's just gone because you didn't have a chance to play it. Well, Valicant Exploration gets around that by putting it in your graveyard while dealing damage to each opponent. And there's just, there's so much to like. Lands are just such a basic, fundamental resource to Magic the Gathering. And so giving you benefits for doing that, especially not in Simic colors, to me, that just checks all the boxes.
1: Well, in in what's really st- stands out to me about the the amount of decks that aren't playing this card is so many landfall decks are running red. Um, you know, there's the occasional simic one, but like far and away, it tends to be something that you see in in gruel colors. And if you're playing landfall, I don't know why you wouldn't run this. It makes it so easy to like. Exile a uh, play land, the exile a land, and then use your you know second or third or fourth land drop ability to play a land off this, and exile a card with another land or or something that you can play. Like it's so easy to just generate all of the lands you need for your multiple landfall triggers with this one card alone. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a it, it's like this engine that powers itself almost in a landfall deck. So like forget all the other decks where it's just useful. It's ridiculous in a landfall deck, and that alone should have the numbers higher than it is. I would compare
2: this card a lot to Outpost Siege, Mm -hmm. and that one's showing up in 44,000 decks. So Valakot Exploration being at 41,000 does actually make a degree of sense to me. Like, those feel roughly equal if you're going for the Impulse Draw ability. So I I guess I would say, like, the underplayed or why isn't this showing up more is contingent upon the fact that I know there are a lot more red Landfall decks that could be using this, and I'm surprised that they're not. Sort of just like what you were saying, Dana. Like, in terms of comparing it to Outpost Siege, I'm kind of like, you know, the numbers are pretty similar there. It doesn't surprise me too much but only 33 percent of omnath locus of rage decks are using this one what's going on there that's what i would want to investigate yeah what are the landfall
1: things are making it past this one because this one's pretty darn good
2: if you're doing a lot of
1: landfall things it's just so good in in those kind of decks that i'm i'm surprised that alone doesn't have the numbers drug up higher than they than they are currently
0: there's a lot of omnath locus of rage decks out there too there's a lot of just any color any combination of two color or more omnath decks all of them would benefit from this because they're all about playing multiple lands per turn and this just rewards you more and more for doing that. So you, you play a reshape the earth, you get 10 triggers. Well, also that reshape the earth suddenly deals 10 damage to each opponent because you don't have to play lands. There uh, are play cards, I should say, that are exiled with Valkyte Exploration. That's just, there's so much going on there. Just you get to deal however many damage each turn. That's just crazy. Well, you know
1: what's crazy? The fact that we haven't gone to challenge the stats
0: yet. <laughs> Dana. it is it is kind of crazy that we haven't done that yet but yeah
1: unbelievable
0: i mean i I guess it is about that time right
1: yeah that that makes sense let's do it joey how far in the episode are we
2: i don't know i don't care we're in challenges (laughs) but apparently love you guys (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah let's let's talk about that data we don't always agree with we'll be right back after a quick
1: break so one of my favorite ways to find cards to challenge the stats is like when I actually see someone use them against me. So the challenge I have this week is for Grim Hireling and this is a card I saw pop up. I mean it's a it's a good card and I'm I'm I've always liked it, but I didn't really see it used to its full potential until MagicCon Minneapolis where I played against a um rogue deck and Grim Hireling Three and a black for a, uh, a tiefling rogue is a 3-2. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, create two treasure tokens. And you can also sacrifice X treasure and target creature gets minus X, minus X till end of turn. That's a sorcery-only ability. Um, it was in an N1, the um, Ruin Thief deck, which is the most popular um, rogue commander in on EDH rec by a large margin. Um, Grim Hireling is only in about 35% of Anawan decks, and here's why it should be in more. Um, If you look at the creatures in an Anawon list, 14 of the top 20 have some form of evasion, whether it's Unblockable or Flying or Menace, and I didn't count Death Touch, and two of them have Death Touch as well, which makes for an unattractive blocker. Uh, That means if you swing one creature at three different players when you have Grim Hireling out, you're making six treasures, and that's what the person was doing in Minneapolis for three straight turns because nobody happened to have any removal. They made six treasures for three consecutive turns, and that was just the end of the game. And th- the fact that um, Grim Hireling being a rogue is only in, you know, 30-ish percent of of, of a rogue commander decks, I felt like it should be more because the card was amazing in that particular list. So that's my challenge. Grim Hireling, run it in more N one lists that card is so good i i yeah even if you're hitting one person making two treasures is still really really good
2: that card's especially messed up if you ever pair it with a professional facebreaker, which also has an ability of making treasures when you're uh, when your creatures hit your opponents and then you can turn the treasures into card draw just like it's a very punchy card and yeah if you've got evasion naturally the perfect fit so yeah i'm way into that and uh Dana, that actually works out decently well for me because I'm also going to be talking about a blue black commander in my challenge for this week. I'm going to be talking about Inquisitor Eisenhorn because one of our listeners, going by New Life Dante in our Patreon Discord, submitted a challenge for Inquisitor Eisenhorn, specifically investigating the card God Eternal Bantu in Inquisitor Eisenhorn decks. So, real quick, Eisenhorn is a blue black commander, 4 mana, 2 3 that creates a bunch of clues for you whenever it deals combat damage to a player you investigate that many times this is actually a commander that dana you and i have both said you know we'd be kind of interested in making a whole deck around this guy because Mm -hmm. you could make a whole lot of artifact tokens with that and you pair it with like a nettle cyst and then he gets really big and you make even more artifacts like i think this is a really really underrated commander we had a whole episode talking about underrated commanders and this was certainly one of them and new life dante has a really great pick for this because god eternal bantu in this deck would be a really if way to turn all of those clues that the commander is making into a bunch of card draw, and it's a repeatable form of card draw because if God Eternal Bantu ever dies, you can put it right back into your library. Notably, New Left Dante points out that the card Reprocess, which has a similar ability to God Eternal Bantu, is showing up on Eisenhorn's page, but God Eternal Bantu is not showing up on Eisenhorn's page, and that's just a thing that seems like, hey, maybe that could you know even itself out a little bit more. These are both really great effects to turn all of those clues into a huge, massive card draw out of nowhere. And not only that, Dante also wants to point out, here are other commanders that also make a bunch of artifacts that could use Bantu as well, like... Tivit makes a bunch of great artifact tokens. So does Guillaume, Emotech, the Stormlord. I've got an old Rutstein deck. There are a lot of commanders out there making a lot of artifact tokens out there. And Bantu deserves a second look if you're playing any one of those legends. So thank you so much, Dante, for this excellent challenge.
0: Well, I'll wrap us up then with challenge stats. And Dana, you mentioned you don't really notice how good cards are until you see them in action. Gold Warden's Gambit is a card for me that... I, I took a flyer on it, wanted to try it out in my Valda Keep the Flame deck, figured why not, let's try it. So, Gold Warden's Gambit is six red red for a sorcery It says affinity for equipment, so it costs one less to cast for each equipment you control. And then it says you create five 2-2 rebel creature tokens, they gain haste until end of turn, and for each of those tokens you may attach an equipment you control to it. This is... So wild to me how is how much of a catch-up card this is. The game stalls out. You're never actually paying eight mana for that. I think a lot of folks see that it's six red red and they think, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna cast that. Well, if you have five equipment out there, it's three mana. You rebuild your army, you put a bunch of equipment on them. It's 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 just a great powerful card. So we're already seeing it adopted in some card or in some decks, I should say. Like Jor first Gold Warden, which rewards you for having a bunch of creatures that are all equipped. But I'm honestly very surprised it hasn't caught up in just really any equipment heavy deck. Uh, Wailth Soul of Steel that Wailth carries quite the target on their back. Uh, it, the whole deck kind of relies on Wailth having a lot on or equipped to him. But oftentimes that also means that people are going to target it down. And if you look at the top cards in the equipment theme on EDA Trek, most of them revolve around cheating mana costs. When it comes to equipping, they're the paying the equipment costs. I should say. So having this come in and pay five equip costs for free, it's just it's all upside. It's super powerful. It's a great way. You know, there's a board wipe. You pay however many mana. You know, four mana for five bodies and put an equipment on them, that's well worth the mana, if you ask me. So if you're playing any of these Boros or Jeskai equipment decks who need a way to kind of rebuild immediately, this is a fantastic way to do it. Not really any decks other than a couple commanders have really latched onto it. It's only seeing play in 1,485 decks total right now, and I think that's just silly low. If you're playing an equipment deck you have red in there, just play Gold Warden's Gambit.
2: Yeah, 1500 is pretty low for this like I'm actually most surprised that it's not caught on more in Akiri Fearless Voyager that's mm-hmm. the Boros equipment commander that uh, specifically cares about you having a lot of equipped creatures rather than just putting all of your equipment onto one creature and less than 4% of Akiri decks are using this and it seems like a total cert in that deck or like only 5% of Dalakos decks are, are using this and like Dalakos also wants you to have multiple equipped creatures because it gives them extra abilities so uh, yeah I mean, there aren't like a huge number of equipment decks that care specifically about having a great number of equipped creatures rather than just Voltroning up your commander. But there are a decent number of them and they should be using this.
0: Yeah. If you need an insurance policy, that's what this is. And I mean, everybody plays a couple cards in pretty much every deck that, well, if everything goes wrong, this card just kind of gets me back in there. It's It's a catch up card and this does it very, very well. Yeah. I'm
2: way into that okay let's get back into our topic talking about cards that why aren't they seeing more play uh dana do you have another one for us
1: yeah so this is a card that i was very excited for when it first came out masterful replication uh five and mm. a blue for an instant it's in only five thousand decks right now which is you know basically zero percent of the ones that could run in an EDH track um it's got two modes you choose one the first one is create two three three colorless golem artifact creature tokens I don't know if I've ever actually used that mode, but at instant speed making two, three, three blockers is not terrible if you need them. Um, but it's a second mode that that really caught my eye and that has been an absolute powerhouse for me and, and I thought would catch more people's eyes beyond just myself and the other 4,999 people that are running it. Um, <laughs> and that's choose target artifact you control and each other artifact you control becomes a copy of that artifact uh, until end of turn. Um, especially given the amount of treasures we have out there, um, the amount of time I've turned, you know, seven treasure tokens and in four mana rocks and a couple of artifact lands into a worm coil engine <laughs> um, and, and, you know, killed one person and then gained enough life that no one else was going to kill me for four or five turns short of a combo. Um, I've done that multiple times or... or Ca- you know had mana up because i was going to use it for something else and then someone cast a board wipe and at least one time i've turned every one of my artifacts into a Frexian triniform um in response to a board wipe it's like oh well okay you're gonna blow up my you know seven creatures and i'm gonna make 36 <laughs> copies of the Frexian triniform token um there's just so many things you can do with it like it's one of those cards that feels like every time you cast it, you're doing something else, and every one of those those things you do is just dumber than the last thing you did with it. And it's I just thought it would, at this point in time, have caught on, and it just really hasn't. I don't know if the, the six mana is scary to people. That's probably part of it. Mm. I think the fact that the first mode is so mid maybe also <laughs> makes folks feel like, oh, it's a modular card, but the one mode is so mediocre that... It really isn't a modular card, maybe that's part of it too, I don't know, but I, I just thought it would have seen a lot more play, especially given the amount of artifact commanders we've seen lately.
2: Dude, Dana, I'm fully with you. Like, if Rise and Shine and Cyber Drive Awakener can show up in a whole bunch of decks turning all of your artifact tokens and treasures into complete lethal powerhouses, like, this card is also doing some pretty similar work. I'd especially Mm -hmm. love to see it get more play in Urza Chief Artificer, because that's the one that makes all of those constructs that get bigger for each artifact you control. So you can just turn everything into one of your construct tokens. And then instead of having like 1-10-10, ten ten, you've got 10 10 tens, And that just sounds really nice to me.
0: Well, and especially when you consider how easy it is to make treasure tokens these days. Yeah. If you have five more treasure tokens, turning all those into extra constructs. That's an army right there. That's that's very, very powerful. And instant speed. I <laughs> yeah. think that should be emphasized a little bit more than it has been so far.
2: That's such a good point because you can avoid board wipes. You turn all of your artifact creatures into not artifact creatures and avoid board wipes. And it, yeah. Oh, good point.
1: Now, I, I guess one thing that would be worth noting is the set this was in contained so many like powerhouse commander cards that maybe the ones that weren't, you know, the the, the the more splashy ones like this kind of fell by the wayside. I guess I, I'm trying to think of reasons that hadn't shown up and maybe that's one of them. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm just constantly shocked at this card not being in Lord X.
2: Mm, I totally feel you. All right, Matt, you got another one?
1: I do. So one card, maybe it's a
0: cycle of cards, and I know I'm probably a little biased towards seeing them, but one of my favorite things to do is, if I'm not the problem myself, is to... Not answer a problem, but make sure it's just not my problem anymore. And the impetus cycle is just one of the my favorite ways to do that politically. Cards like Martial Impetus, Psychic Impetus, it's, just a, it's a cycle of aura cards that came out, I believe, originally in one of the pre-con sets, but then we saw them again in, in Baldur's Gate. But so Psychic Impetus, for example, is two and a blue for an enchantment aura that says uh, enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, and is goaded. Then whenever enchanted creature attacks, you scry two. So they all have something to do with they give the creature a buff, it goads the creature, and then whenever the creature attacks, you get some sort of bonus, whether it's you get to scry two or martial impetus, for example, uh, whenever the enchanted creature attacks each other creature that's attacking one of your opponents. So basically if you uh, mini gahiji uh, exalted one type of effect where each other creature attacking your opponents gets plus one plus one until in turn so it buffs up all of the rest of their army if as long as they're not attacking you there's a lot to like about these and there's nothing more satisfying than seeing something big scary hit the battlefield and then thinking you know what mm-hmm. that's a you problem not a me problem and putting one of these <laughs> cards on there and they're not they're not glamorous they're, they're like a lot of cards that we've talked about but I love this cycle and all of them, like none of them show up in more than like a percent of decks.
1: So I like these, all these cards, um, the different variants of them. Um, I think they're, they're a fun design and whenever I've played a pre-con with them, they've always been fun to play, but these very much fall into the category of, I just have better things to do with my card slots and include one of these impetus cards. Um, and maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> you know. Sometimes, like <laughs> running the fun thing is better than running the good thing, and I guess I try to do some of that. But but this is never one of the fun things I decide to go with over the good thing. Hmm. Um, so that that's to me why they don't make the cut. They just never feel like they they earn a slot in, among the ninety nine for me over something that is maybe fun and really really good. Well, Dana, you know what that sounds like to me?
2: What's that? It sounds to me like you're the person that Matt is going to put all of these impetus cards yeah, onto. Yeah,
0: maybe, <laughs>
1: right, right, absolutely, for sure.
0: But but that that's a valid point because anytime somebody, if somebody has a Voltron deck, well, you don't have to worry about that commander anymore. Uh, it buys you time until, oh, well, Dana knocked out Joey and knocked out Chris. Well, now I found an answer because it took him four turns to do it. So right. it's just a great, I love these effects because I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. I'm not saying these are like absolute must play cards. No, for sure. But I I love what they do to the game because A, they they move the game forward. They make sure that yeah. the, nobody just gets to sit around anymore. You know, everything's goaded. So it has to be attacking. And I don't think that there was any card that caused more interaction when we were at Magic Fest Minneapolis or, or excuse me, Magic Con Minneapolis. than the impetus cards in my Council of Four deck. It, they just, they made the battlefield, you, nobody got to just sit around and linger anymore. You didn't get to, okay, well, I, I've got a few turns to make things happen. No, you don't. Sure. The, you, well, there, there's, a, there's a 12-12 that suddenly is just going to start attacking haphazardly. I love what they do to the game. So uh, they're not the most powerful. I, I agree with you, Dana. But I also don't think that they're near as bad as you maybe in your head can and have them as. A specific
2: thing that I'll point out for martial impetus in comparison to the other ones as well is that martial impetus has that same Coronation of Chaos thing where if you draw this in the late game and you're down to the one-on-one instead of having multiple opponents, that one actually still has use in ways that some of the other impetus cards don't necessarily have use. Mm -hmm. Like putting that psychic impetus onto an opponent's creature is kind of like, eh. Putting it onto your own creature, you do give it flying, it's a buff, but like having the, the goad on your own creature does feel a little bit strange. Whereas martial impetus giving an Anthem to all of your creatures for three mana i mean that's actually an anthem for three mana is kind of a going rate and if you do have enough creatures to make that worthwhile then attacking is the thing you already wanted to do anyway so like this one actually feels to me like it still has a decent chunk of a payoff if you draw it down in the latter parts of the game in comparison to some of the other versions of this effect yeah so that one also gives me extra points for the martial impetus in particular
0: yeah and and actually joey so psychic impetus it, this is another one of those cards that the art betrays you does not get flying a psychic impetus doesn't get flying does not
2: okay well yeah
0: <laughs> does not get flying i found out the hard way don't you worry
2: oh yeah and i wasn't even looking if you know if i look at other versions of this card where there's just a cat with an eyeball uh, going on instead of the bird with a, a glyph on it um it becomes a lot easier to tell uh i think it makes it makes a lot more sense yeah 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 i think i'll stick to using the old art so that i don't, act, <laughs> don't accidentally trick myself for anything like that <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, yeah, then Marshall Impetus gets way more points than Psychic Impetus in that case. That's what I've learned.
0: Either, but both are still great cards in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, I'll go on to one pick
2: of mine here. I gotta call out Myosian of Blooming Dawn. Like, as long as we're talking about tokens that you would want to put an anthem to, Myosian of Blooming Dawn is only showing up in 4,800 decks right now, and I think that's bonkers, because this makes so many tokens. I know it's 8 mana. I know that it only gets the indestructible counter on it if it was cast from your hand. But the ability to remove that indestructible counter, to create a 1-1 one, one colorless spirit creature token for each permanent you control each permanent, you control. I've never seen this thing make fewer than 13 tokens. And you know what you do with tokens? You pump them right up. You pump them up, and they don't just hit for 13 damage. They hit for 26 damage. They hit for 39 damage. They hit for lethal. And there are a ton of cool tricks that you can do proliferating counters like these. I just... You know, you can use this ability at instant speed as well, like right before it's your turn to get surprise attackers that they couldn't wrath. I, my of Blooming Dawn is one of my favorite ways to make a butt ton of tokens. And again, 13 is like the minimum amount. I have also seen this card make more than 30 tokens before because, you know, stuff like treasures are a thing. My of Blooming Dawn's amazing. This should show up in at least more than like 4,800 decks. Like this card's so good.
1: Yeah, I, I think, and this is one of those cards where I think People just look at it and immediately, like, first of all, think of the previous Myogen Cycle that was maybe a little bit underpowered. Mm. And so they don't... So there's, there's that association immediately with it for, for one. And five mana, three three white pips is also scary. And it can make it easy to, like, oh, that's a lot of mana, what does it do? Uh, and then just not think all the way through about how effective it's actually going to be, how it's going to earn the eight mana you spend on it. So, like... I agree that's a really good card, Joey, but I also understand why folks get scared away from it and why the numbers are lower.
0: Yeah, Dana, I'm with you. I think a lot of players will see an intimidating mana cost like myogen of blooming dawn or like my challenge with gold warden's gambit they're going to see eight mana no way i'm ever going to spend that much money on this there's no way and they kind of write it off immediately without actually like you said playing it through okay let's start here yeah Um, but what does the card actually do and this card does so much and considering you know you can remove the indestructible counter from myogen instant speed you get a but ton of blockers. There's just so many ways that you can get more than eight manas worth out of this. Uh, I I like this, but I uh, again, I understand why people are kind of like, I don't know.
2: I think especially the thing that gets me about it is like there are spirit commanders out there like Quintorius or Millicent. They will buff up or care about you having a lot of spirits. So I'm like, here's a thing that makes more spirits than you even know what to do with. Like playing an eight mana thing, you usually want it to do something that's going to gesture towards winning a game. And in those decks, I feel like this is doing exactly that. Like pair it with Mirror Entity and you are just like, ah, you're taking stuff over. I, This makes more bodies than most token creating spells out there. And that's what matters a whole lot to me. If you really want to go wide, this is the card that's going to do it. I think it deserves a second look in the 99 of a whole lot of decks that care about having a bunch of tokens in play. Or just the cards that care about spirits. Like... Come on, Millicent, you can play this
1: in more decks, and you know it. Well, the last one I have here that I want to talk about, um, and I think I challenged the stats in this card at some point, but I, I'm still just constantly perplexed it's in less than 5,000 decks, and that's Choose Your Weapon. From Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, um, it's another one of those modal cards, two and a green for an instant. Um, the, the weaker mode here is this spell deals five damage to target creature with flying, although I've used that on multiple occasions. The reason I think it, I, I thought it would see a ton more play was the two weapon fighting mode, double target creatures, power, and toughness on to a turn. Uh, it, it's not Berserk, but like Berserk's an insanely broken card. It's also expensive. This is a dirt cheap version of Berserk that's, s- despite being, you know, two mana more and doing less. Is still crazy powerful. It was one of those cards. I'm like, oh, this is just going to be in a ton of, of green decks. I had a couple of decks I wanted to add it to. I bought multiple extra copies because I'm like, I'm going to grab them now when they're 35 cents. That way when they're, you know, $3 in a couple of years because they haven't gotten a reprint, I won't have to worry about it. And it's just not shown up in decks. I, I, I This is one of those ones that confuses me. I just thought people, it has all the things you would think they want. It's kind of a, a bargain version of an existing card that sees a lot of play. It does a really splashy, powerful thing. It's not like this is confusing. It's doubling your you know ginormous creature and making it even bigger. <laughs> I, I just thought this card would, would take off in a way, and it, it just hasn't at all.
2: Especially, like, a comparison I gotta make here is the card Unleash Fury, one in a red instant double the power of target creature until end of turn. That's showing up in 26,000 decks. Mm-hmm. And I know it's in a different color, but, like, that's a decently similar-ish ability, and the difference in numbers there is staggering. Especially because Choose Your Weapon doesn't just double power, it also doubles toughness. You right. could use this to escape from a toxic deluge or stuff like that. Like, I'm with you. I don't I don't get it.
0: Yeah, the, the double toughness effect, that's what I was really dwelling on because there aren't a lot of cards, there's pump spells that give like giant growth, whatever. But for the most part, it's everybody cares about power and doubling power. Doubling toughness is very relevant because all of a sudden you have a trampling creature coming through. Well, I mean, if you double the five toughness blocker, like that's going to soak up significantly more. So it could be almost a fog effect to some extent too, uh, making sure that you know the, the combat damage trigger of some creature doesn't happen, stuff like that. So there's a lot to like here. Just Again, it's, it's not one of those glamorous cards. And I think, Dana, you, you had said that Masterful Replication, the first mode, really isn't that good. Uh, I think the second mode here is next to irrelevant because nobody plays those types of effects anymore. Uh, they just play flat removal. So you're basically playing this for the first mode. And the question comes down to is, how much do you really need that effect Often.
1: Well, and
2: the things that you can do by manipulating the power and toughness of your creatures as well, like, if you have a greater good in play, and you want to draw even more cards? Like, <laughs> I just think that that sounds nice. If you want your Galta Pramble Hunger commander to suddenly be, surprised, it's lethal! Like, I mean, those are... <laughs> those are are very cool moments I think this card is also capable of really memorable tricks as well and and that's why it also is very eye-catching to me
1: well there, there's been more than one occasion when I've cast your Rishkar's card's expertise oh. choose your weapon and double the <laughs> creature's power when it, 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 there's just so many like little weird corner case uses for this kind of card and yeah it's I I, I it's, it's not even a situation where I thought it was gonna be good and like was disappointed in it it's been as good as I thought it would be and it just has not caught on
2: yeah nice stuff. So, on a final note, I want to throw out one. This isn't a specific card, but it's more of, like, a category of cards, I guess. And, Matt, I'm sure that you're going to be with me on this one, too. Um <laughs> We're we're talking about Baldur's Gate again, but like backgrounds in the 99. Like the backgrounds are really good and I am a little bit surprised that a lot of the backgrounds haven't caught on in the 99 nearly as much, especially if you have a partner deck. If you've got two commanders and you're getting double benefits off of your backgrounds, like I I look at Candlekeep Sage for instance and it gives your commander creatures the ability when this creature enters or leaves the battlefield, you draw a card and it's showing up in less than 6,000 decks in the 99. I I just feel like these are really really good and getting double benefits off of backgrounds is really great if you've got partners but even if you don't just these have some very very cool effects ones that give your stuff double strike ones that pump your tokens I ones that make your stuff unblockable like there's these are really really cool things and I am surprised that they haven't caught on in
0: the 99 a little bit more often than they have well if you want proof that people aren't listening to what we say just look at backgrounds in the 99 because we've been (laughs) preaching about these cards for forever they're so good it's it's Probably, I would say, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, Dana, but I would say it's probably one of our favorite tweaks on just any given mechanic over the past couple of years as just as far as like as a podcast.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's just looking at them in terms of like as another way to get kind of pseudo partners. They're just so good though in the 99. And, and I feel like if you are playing a deck with partners or you're building a deck with partners and we're, we're going to get a bunch more partner-esque combinations in the new Doctor Who said as well um oh that's right the the first thing you should do is just like okay what backgrounds are available in in my colors because you're you're doubling up how effective they are a lot of them are very effective even with one commander um (laughs) they're crazy some of them if you have multiple commanders so yeah like that's the first thing you should look at i think if you're playing a partner deck out there is just well what are the real backgrounds and and, and, and what can i do with them because you'll be shocked at how effective they really tend to be in those kind of decks
0: Well, and not just the Doctor Who, that that reminds me, we had the Stranger Things secret layer cards that also had partner with. I mean, so yeah, any variation of partner just gets exponentially better whenever you put one of these backgrounds in your 99. So yeah, man, every time we revisit this, I just realize more and more that this card is great. (laughs)
2: yeah I really really like these I'd love it if they got to see a little bit more play I'm telling you that set was full of gems we've been saying it for we've been saying it for so long that people gave us negative podcast reviews about it can you believe that like we're like (laughs) like, we promise these cards are good you guys I hope that people are catching on that set was fire uh anyway (laughs) not to gripe it's just I don't know why some of these cards aren't showing up more in the 99 but a lot of these cards we talked about I feel like they really deserve a second look because there's a lot of hidden gems out there
0: yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the game is growing. The format is huge. So it's, it's and you only have so many cards. It's, it's Some people on the rules committee think you can only have 99 cards in your deck. I don't know. What, I'm I'm <laughs> mocking that argument. Please don't think I believe that at all. I'm very glad for the deck limits. But yes, it, you only have so many card slots in your deck. And it just, it's a deck building challenge just to play all the cards you want to play, not even counting or considering all the cards you're like, oh, I probably should be playing this too. hmm
2: yeah, that, that's fair. For every card that we say is underplayed, technically you do have to make some cuts on those. And it's not like we're in a position to cut bad cards out of our deck. We do have to cut good cards to make room for great cards as well. But hopefully, listeners, these are interesting cards that you'll give a second look to. And really, we would love to hear from you about any cards that you're surprised haven't shown up more in the data as well. And why is that? Do you think that people are misreading them? Do you think that the set that they came in is one of the things that's causing them to become overshadowed? What are some overshadowed cards out there that you wish would get a little bit more love we would love to hear from you and with that fellas i guess we're going to call this episode to a close that's right dana now we're able to end the podcast not during your introduction <laughs> trying to end the podcast so let's call it there if folks want to get in touch with us where is it that they can find us all
0: matt so you can find me on the twitters at mathemist55 that's m-a-t-h-i-m-u-s-5-5 and don't forget wednesday evenings we're streaming over at twitch.tv slash edh where we have guests on every single week, and it's always a fun time, so make sure you tune in for that as well. And
1: Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecast.
2: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on the online, and you can find the cast anywhere online at EDH Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDH at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase, the Cardboard Bandit, for assisting me with the post production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. Listeners will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember EDH, wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.